there's this feedback loop with perfectionism where perfectionists seek out the high achieving version of something. So if I do yoga, I'm going to be perfect at yoga. And then the other, but the other side of that is that they then shrink away from activities that they can't do perfectly. So we don't try things outside of our comfort zones if we're not sure we can do them perfectly. And then you see people's lives sort of accommodating the perfectionism in a way that can actually bring them away from a lot of joy and interest and richness in their lives because there's so much fear of, well, what happens if I don't do this perfectly? I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair, and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. We are here together over the holiday break, which means that I'm actually on vacation, but I didn't want to leave you without something to have in your ears during this time. Maybe you've been feeling overstimulated and you just said that you need to go for a walk, or you are looking to stack listening and learning and exploring yourself while also doing a task. Either way, I am grateful for you for joining me here on the podcast for this replay episode. It is one of our most downloaded episodes. And I think this is because so many of us can connect to feeling like this need that we have to show up in a certain way and be perfect. So before I go further, I want to just take a moment to say thank you for another fantastic year on the podcast. It's hard to believe that we are in season four, that we had season three wrap up this year, and I've had the chance to sit with so many amazing guests and have these powerful conversations and bring them to you. I'm also grateful for your ongoing support, your DMs, your comments, your reviews, and also your excitement for my upcoming book in 2023. I cannot wait to share this piece of work with you. It is going to be the next resource that you need in your relationship. So be sure to stay tuned for when the book is released. Let me reintroduce you to Dr. Jen Douglas for today's replay episode. She is a clinical assistant professor at Stanford University, licensed psychologist and mental wellness speaker. She focuses on helping individuals overcome anxiety, perfectionism, and trauma, which may be holding them back from living their lives in the most full and authentic way. I know that Dr. Jen has an amazing perfectionism course. So if this is something you struggle with, don't hesitate to check out the links in the show notes and be sure to check out Dr. Jen. Let's go into this replay episode. Dr. Jen, I am so excited to be sitting with you today. We, we've had a bit of a journey to get here. All of things in life have gotten here. And I have to admit, preparing for today, knowing that we're talking about a topic that I know is dear to both of us, perfectionism, yes. I felt that urge showing up for me to want to, to do this perfectly. How can I get the perfect podcast episode with Dr. Jen on perfectionism? <laughs> yes, the irony is real. Yes. 
It's so real. Okay. So before we dive in, tell us three things that make you uniquely you. Mm. So I have this activist bent. I was a hundred percent going to be a lawyer and was going to be a social justice lawyer when I was young. And then I took a random class in college because it started at one o'clock and I could sleep in and I could go out (laughs) the night before and I could sleep in. So I took this random class on eating disorders Mm. and it changed my entire life trajectory. And I dropped off being a lawyer. I, you know, canceled my LSAT. I went onto this journey to be a psychologist. And now somewhere between 15 and 20 years later, I'm still working (laughs) in this space of anxiety and perfectionism, sometimes eating disorders, all these things. So just, I, I really hold close to my heart how these tiny little seeming coincidences can really set us upon a journey that's really important to us. Yeah. And isn't that interesting eh, that sometimes this idea of what I think I'm going to be, or I'm going to plan for this actually ends up derailing it completely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I'm big into sort of listening to those cues and being open to see different signs and and what is meaningful to us and always sort of aligning with values. Mm -hmm. Yes. What is important to us? And instead of kind of be like, what do people expect of me? Or what what do, what does society think? What do others want? Or what Mm -hmm. should I be? You know, it's interesting. I can kind of relate to that, Jen, because I was actually uh, enrolled in pre-med in my undergrad. And I, you know, the first year we were touring hospitals and talking about the route to the path to become a physician. And as soon as the discussion around cutting people open and all of the blood, and I thought, you know, that's just not going to be for me. And I really found um, my passion in human behavior, all about human behavior. Beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Number two. I love it. What's number two? Yeah. Uh, that I have a totally different sort of background than people would think. So I, you know, have this persona and, you know, exist in this academic space at Stanford, but I grew up surfing and barrel racing on horses and all these very, very sort of not demure, quiet activities. And I still, Mm -hmm. I try to bring that spark and that life into my very adulting world as well. Oh, I love that. I would have never guessed that about you. So cool. (laughs) Right? (laughs) There are always these little parts about us that people don't get to know. And I mean, even when we think of perfectionism, right? The theme of when we look to other people, we don't really know what their experience is. We just sort of perceive some of those things about them. 100%. And then my third, which I think you'll appreciate, especially as the couples expert, I have so much admiration for the work that you do, is that for my training, my husband had to move across the country one, two, three times over the course of my career. And he did that. And that we had this very, you know, we had a journey in order to make sure that our relationship could be sustained through all of these real life challenges. Oh, goodness. That long distance. That is so challenging. It really, it's interesting. As a couple, it, it forces us to really have to learn how to communicate. It is because it's not, it's not, I want to say sufficient, but it's not enough to just sit side by side 
watching TV together, which there's nothing wrong about that. That can be a form of connection, but in distance, you don't really get that. You have to be really intentional about your words. And also to knowing, you know, you likely weren't having all of these Zoom calls back then. Right. Yep. Um, and I can relate. My partner and I, we actually lived long distance until a month after we got married. We met long distance. We dated long oh. distance. We had ups and downs. We, we truly know what it means to become masters of communicators. And it, that, I mean, that does not mean that we're perfect in any way in what we do yes. around communicating. But yeah, like it's, it really forces this different way of connecting and communicating as a couple. And it's hard. Absolutely. So, so cool. Familiar so with cool. that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This topic of perfectionism, you tell me, how did you start really diving into this? Because I, I'm also thinking of your background, um, you know, even just working in psychology. What was it that you started to say, okay, I see this happening for so many people. So I work in Silicon Valley. I work a lot with anxiety. I work with some folks with histories of trauma, you know, with eating disorders, those types of things. But really what often comes through my door is incredibly high achieving women who have some anxiety. And then over and over, I saw that these women also had demanded of them sort of perfectionism across the board at work, in their personal life you know, working out and eating well, and then motherhood and parenting is a whole nother right. situation in their relationships. And, and I sort of saw that, you know, how anxiety interacts with societal expectations of women mm. really is just the perfect storm to develop perfectionism, which I sometimes talk about on Instagram is, you know, perfectionism is the only form of anxiety that society tells us to have. And I am a deep believer in that because we can get in these patterns where perfectionism, we interpret it as being reinforced and being a good thing. And then I would have these women who were externally, you know, looked like they had the perfect lives, quote unquote, but were actually coming into my office feeling that something was really missing and they really wanted a change so they could enjoy these lives that they built. Mm. It's interesting because like, so on the outside, so again, thinking of people on the outside viewing in, somewhat viewing in, we think, oh, wow, they've got everything together. But what sometimes we miss is that perfectionism isn't something that we necessarily enjoy. Like it causes us a lot of stress and that connection to anxiety. And I love that you said that. I actually wrote that down as one of your quotes from Instagram and I want to say it again, but perfectionism is the only form of anxiety that society tells us it's okay right? And so like this societal pressure that it's okay to keep striving and achieving and doing more and set your bar higher. And even, you know, we're almost end of 2020. I'm thinking of what starts to happen now. We start to see all of the posts about what's to come and set your goals and, you know, like, you know, make sure you set yourself up right to hit those goals in the new year. And it becomes so pressured that every year it's like, okay, December 31st, next year is going to be the one. Next year is going to be the year that I hit the goals. And it's almost this idea that we like draw this line straight up, right? This diagonal line straight up. That's how life yep. is supposed to be. Each year is supposed to be better than the one beforehand. Instead of acknowledging that life throws us with like all of these ups and down curves. I know, I know you're nodding. I know you know this, right? <laughs> oh yeah. No, this is great. Yeah. 
I, it's, so, it's beautiful. And, and resolution season is upon us mm-hmm. and, and resolution season always just, you know, my heart ends up in my throat for millions of people where not only is there all the societal pressure to make these goals and, you know, put them out there, they're often wildly unsustainable. And then we often feel an immense amount of shame when we don't, like you say, have this perfect trajectory of just everything getting better and better and better. And we don't allow space for the roadblocks, the two steps back, the slow periods of time, the times where we rest. And that's where people end up walking through my door because their anxiety and burnout has gotten out of control. Mm, Yes, that's right. That is what starts to skyrocket, right? Like we can't keep up with that. You, you already mentioned motherhood and, you know, (laughs) ah, I can just, well, well, first I can completely connect this topic and I, I wouldn't have said that I connected to it early on in my teens, although it was there, I was a dancer um, and I competed and, and, you know, like you, if you think of any kind of environment that you grow up in where competing, where you have to be on cue and with the music and with your teammates, right? Like that really does breed for expectations to be high of you. Um, but I can also remember, and we started talking about this before I hit record here, but the, the first day of my PhD and our professor stood in front of us and he said, look, you're here. And we already know these things about you. You likely want to achieve But what I want you to take away moving forward now is that it is good enough. Because if you can't find good enough, then you will just be swamped with all of these things. I should have gone to that program. (laughs) That sounds a lot more healthy than many of the, just any of our schooling institutions. You know, I, I see it in college students. I see a lot of college students. I see it in grad school. But you can see this all the way down to little, little, little ones. And the pressures, and I think social media, ironically, we've met through social media. There are beautiful things about social media. Wonderful things. But, right? And the other side of that coin is that it just jacks up those expectations even more. Mm-hmm. And academics is one side of an expression of perfectionism. And then we see, you know, later on in our professional world. But whether it comes out in things like competitive dance or sports or whatnot, one thing that I really enjoy doing with clients is really discovering which areas perfectionism has snuck in without the person being aware. You know, they might have a really great mindfulness practice and go to yoga and they're really good at self-care. But if they get takeout instead of cooking their whole family a meal from scratch, they feel like a failure for that day. Right. Can I even back up on that? Because there, there's also yes. sometimes this perfectionism that drives us into the practice of something. So if I do yoga, right, then it's like the if then. If I'm doing yoga, then it has to be perfect. If I'm doing mindfulness, and I hear this from my clients who struggle with perfectionism and, and that need for control, it's like, well, I can't do mindfulness because then the thoughts keep coming back and I can't do it. It doesn't work. And, yes. and mindfulness is really that true challenge of being able to say, here's the thought again, and again, and again, and again, it shows up. And the task every time is come back to the breath, right? Noticing what is happening moment to moment, rather than this being some kind of thing that you perfect. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. It's such, it's such a huge growth edge. And I think that 
you know, again, there's this feedback loop with perfectionism where perfectionists seek out the high achieving version of something. So if I do yoga, I'm going to be perfect at yoga. And then the other, but the other side of that is that they then shrink away from activities that they can't do perfectly. Mm. So we don't try things outside of our comfort zones if we're not sure we can do them perfectly. And then you see people's lives sort of accommodating the perfectionism in a way that can actually bring them away from a lot of joy and interest and richness in their lives because there's so much fear of, well, what happens if I don't do this perfectly? Mm. Right. So you even stop pushing yourself to grow. Like you, you're, you set up your environment in a way that feeds this perfectionism. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. You know I am all about caring for ourselves, especially in these busy years with our young kids. We are pulled in so many directions, but I think it's so important for us to find ways to nurture ourselves that require no additional time from us. I should probably let you in on one of my favorite things to do to look after me, and that is to get a good night's sleep on amazing sheets. I am beyond thrilled to bring you Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products with an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for my listeners. We've got a code. It's SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Now, I didn't believe it until I tried them, but I firmly stand by my sleep improving with the temperature regulating technology, which adapts to your body's needs. For the past year, I have not slept on any other brand of sheets. Cozy Earth uses the very best fabrics, materials, and wares, offering superior softness for you to sink into at the end of those long days. I look forward to getting into bed, and we've been loving the sheets for over a year and their sleepwear is so unbelievably soft and it's made with such great quality. But the best part is that if you're worried about commitment, enjoy a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty on all of your purchases. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code SHRINK for an exclusive 35% off and give the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth. Support for today's episode comes from ZocDoc. We all know there are things in life we have to compromise on, like the right way to load a dishwasher or whether those socks are going to stay on the floor for a week. Okay, in all seriousness, but when it comes to your mental health, there is no compromise. So we don't need to go back to that one therapist or one physician who didn't align with what we need just because they're available right now. We don't need to compromise on the care we need for our overall wellness. Instead, this is where ZocDoc comes in. This is a place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. And you can find someone who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your well-being. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. Go to ZocDoc.com slash I-N-Y-S and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. If I needed this app, this is one that I would be going to. That's zocdoccom slash I-N-Y-S and get the care that you need today. I wonder if I could even step back for a second because if someone is listening and they're saying, hmm, do I identify with perfectionism? I'm not sure. How, how would you help them to see if perfectionism shows up for them? 
Yes. So one of my favorite exercises to do, and I always do this myself to keep my own perfectionism in check. It's important to kind of keep living this stuff, right? But is to, to not sit in a chair and just think, you know, cognitively intellectualize everything and sort of discover whether or not I'm uh, a perfectionist or not, but to allow ourselves to behaviorally be imperfect and then see if we have an anxious reaction to that. Mm. So can I leave dishes in the sink overnight? Can I, you know, show up to a class? I, I, um, recently took a, a ballet for adults class. I've never taken ballet in my entire life amazing. over Zoom. It was oh, amazing. I love that you did that. And as, as you can see, you know, the podcast folks can't, but via my gesturing, I am not an elegant person. <laughs> and so it was this wonderful, you know, rich experience, but it was not perfect. And so it's whether or not we can embrace things like that, or if we're hearing in our mind, you have to do X, you should do Y, you can't do Z because I have to fit into these boxes and do things perfectly. So mm. I, I always recommend that so folks try to do the imperfect thing. And if they, they feel themselves having an anxious reaction or they're held back so much that they can't do it, that's your big sign that this is really getting in the way of your life. Yeah, that that feeling of having to just sit with something so uncomfortable, right? Because that, that perfectionism stimulates that anxiety and we know that that is uncomfortable in our bodies. I, I'm wondering... For someone who maybe hasn't quite tuned into that part of themselves, right? Because oftentimes we know that um, perfectionism will also keep us very intellectual, so up in our heads. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, again, people can't see me, but like I, I put my hand at my neck and like we cut off between our head and our body, our mind and body, we're disconnected. And our society teaches us to do that, right? Yes. You know, don't, don't feel your way through this. Think it, be logical. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but so for, for someone who might feel more of that disconnection between mind and body, what might you experience in your body? Like, how could you do that? Absolutely. So for everybody, it, it can show up differently, but, but some of the classic signs, people might feel some of that tightness in their chest one thing is posture. When we're uncomfortable in a situation, we tend to be hunched over. Our shoulders tend to be down. This is, yeah, this is also the work from home Zoom posture. Um, a lot of times we'll, it, it's an old, you know, evolutionary version of protecting ourselves, but our arms will be crossed, you know, over our front because we are essentially protecting our body, you know, from mm. harm. And then one thing that I see over and over again in perfectionism as a form of anxiety is we have that chronic tension. So, you know, half the folks listening right now might reach back to their neck and feel those knots that have been there for the last, you know, seven years or however long it's been. Uh -huh. This stuff can become so ingrained that we don't even notice all the tension that we're holding in our body. And so really kind of tuning into that, even, even if it's your baseline, there might actually be a lot of anxiety being held in our body. Mm -hmm. Listening to our body, like, like shifting gears into that and seeing what, what's happening right here and, and how does that feel? And, and I love the exercise. And I was just talking about polyvagal theory on the um, podcast recently. And Yay. one of the things I love um, well, about all of what we do in therapy and, you know, coming from even the acceptance and commitment therapy, but the idea of simply noticing, allowing ourselves mm -hmm. to say, I notice, and then going inwards instead of simply reacting, right? And that, that's hard to do of being able to slow down and say, what's happening here? I'm noticing. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And especially for folks who struggle with perfectionism, because when we struggle with perfectionism, we're very attuned to the external perception of us. And our efforts and our energies tend to go into things that are visible to other people. And no one can see us spending time and effort getting in touch with how we are feeling. So nine and a half times out of 10, it drops to the lowest on our priorities, you know, and perfectionists are often putting themselves last anyway. Mm. And so again, there's a different experience of intellectually understanding I'm a perfectionist and embodying sort of the recovering perfectionist idea. Right. I, I'm wondering, how can someone tell the difference between perfectionism and preference or even, yeah, or perfectionism versus need almost? I'm wondering, because I can imagine that shows up for a lot of people of like, no, and I hear this actually when it comes to the couple dynamics of talking about like, oh, yeah. where are some things that we can wiggle here? Um, uh-huh. And so is this, is this a true need? Or is this the perfectionism showing up? Like, how, how do you think people could yes. get to that? Well, there's there's two things that I have people sort of watch. The first is how much they can tolerate something. Because even the most innocent preference, if there's too much of a dosage of importance on that preference, then it can turn into rigidity and perfectionism and really hold us back. So Eve, right? And so, you know, we I, all I, do, I, 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 all of this, I, this right? <laughs> I, I'm smiling. smiling. I, I'm going to derail you for a second. I'm smiling because I, I can remember. So again, I, I already told you, like we didn't live together before. We we would live for chunks of time, right? Um, but oh boy, those counters, my kitchen counters were just my thing. And it, when I lived in an apartment, the counters were white. Don't have white counters. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. Um, and it was, it was one of those things that I would just focus on all the time. And put all of my attention there. And I would find myself sometimes even stress cleaning it before I would go to bed. And it, it's, it's kind of that importance piece. And then I remember, you know, you, you bring children in, you bring the full-time mm. jobs in, you're living <laughs> together. And I kept feeling this heaviness of like, oh, where, where does this all fit in? And how important are the counters. And, and I had to truly one night say to myself, I'm choosing my partner in this moment. Yeah. I'm connecting to what's meaningful to me. It's not the mm. perfect counter. I, I can, okay, that feels mm. uncomfortable. I can leave that. I'm going to go and connect with him because that's what I need right now. That's what really matters to me. And with that being said, there are other times where it's just been a little bit of chaos. We're stressed and the counters are, there's lots of stuff on it and, and we can joke about it now. And we and I can say, Ooh, okay, we got to clear this off, right? <laughs> like this, this is creating all of this stress and anxiety for me. Let's clear this mm-hmm. off. And, and we can do that together. But it, yeah. it was really interesting, the process of getting there, of being able to acknowledge like just how important is this to me in the big picture, mm-hmm thousand percent that is the perfect example saying that ironically but it is it's a wonderful example and and the one that i usually use is you know the partner socks on the floor sort of same idea as the counters right speaking my language (laughs) right it's we all have this right and so you know obviously especially in couples when people are living together when people get married we are we have all these growing pains and that's natural the question is really exactly like you were saying is is the need for this to be perfect getting in the way of the things that matter, getting in the way of me connecting with my partner, getting in the way of me spending time, you know, relaxing, doing what I need to do. And 
I think women in particular, you know, we go through all of these different life changes, not that our partners aren't going through life changes too as, as parents, but the process of, you know, schooling and then jobs and then dating and marriage and children and all of these things add layers and layers and layers of things that we can continue to need to have perfect. And you in a very healthy way really recognized, okay, this is not sustainable and this is not going to be good for me and good for my partnership. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really sort of, I think, the, the tipping point of where we need to recognize when perfectionism is really causing a deterioration in our quality of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's impacting the things that are important to us, right? Or, you know, I can think of the mom who maybe gets irritated and loses her cool with the kids um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, not able to do the things that are important, like seeing friends or working out, like all of that stuff shows up. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So perfectionism, I know is one of those things that in some ways protects us. And and I always like to think of, you know, like what, what, what are you doing and what's it doing for you? I, I know for myself, it can sort of act to ward off that imposter syndrome that, uh-oh, like, you know, am I really, do I really know this? Am I really an expert in this? Okay, if I read all of the books, then yes. <laughs> then I will, write, And that, <laughs> that's, again, just setting myself up there. Um, but if I tap into that perfectionism, it stops me from feeling something really uncomfortable. And I wonder what you see happen for, for women when it comes to what the purpose of perfectionism is for. Absolutely. It's such a good question. And, and it drives so much of this, even, even if it's developed in one environment and then we carry it on to future environments, right? Mm. And so, you know, perfectionism can show up, you know, and, and rear its head at different times of our lives. But many of us learn this behavior, you know, this behavior of being perfect very, very young. And it's often an anxiety and avoidance technique that's used because we don't want to have negative feedback come our way. Or we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want to get the reinforcement. And and that's all very genuine and very human. And we want that. You know, we are a social, we are all social animals and we want to be loved and cared for. Where perfectionism, again, hits that tipping point where it really starts to harm us rather than help us is if we practice being perfect always, then our brains never get the chance to realize that we don't have to be perfect in order to have other people love us and care for us and in order to you know, escape reprimand. No one was probably going to come and judge you for your countertops at 11 o'clock at night, but there was something still going on there where there was this need to have this taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so we see it, I think, you know, we, we develop this and, you know, these are strong kind of instinctual things that we want to protect our bonds with other people. Um, perfectionism just sort of outsizes the amount, the dosage that we need to apply to any given situation. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's in that sense of um, our, our worth, Right. So, so this is the sense that our worth is tied to how we show up in life. If I am perfect, then I'm worthy. I often get to these like if then sentences when it comes to perfectionism because it very much comes to this all or nothing thinking, right? If I show up perfectly, if I parent perfectly, if I never yell at my kids, then it means I'm a good mom, then I'm worthy, then I'm lovable. And that we, we know 
what children do ultimately is we want to please our parents. It's reinforcing, right? When mom and dad, when our caregivers are happy, that feels good for me. Oh, they're not happy. I've jumped on the couch. Okay. Well, I won't jump on the couch or, 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 or something. Right. And so then this worth becomes attached to what we do. And, and it's even that this was a conversation that I was having recently around praising process and not outcome. Yes. Yay. <laughs> so, so I'm not a child expert. I don't see children in my practice. I'm not registered with the college for children. Um, but it's really interesting to think of this, that what do we do with our kids? We praise them. Of course we want to. We want to really boost them up. Good job, buddy. Right. And I used to like, you know, my little guy would use the pie, like, good job, buddy. He'd like put his stuff away. Good job. Right. And, and then it's like, okay, now he's learning to color in the lines. Good job. Or like you stayed in the lines, right. Which is validating outcome. And when we validate outcome, we're focusing on just that narrow part but then what happens when one day he doesn't color in the lines or he doesn't clean up, right? Yes, absolutely. This, I'm laughing to, to myself because one of the activities I sometimes do with my clients is have them color outside of the lines, <gasps> literally. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is, that's amazing. Yeah. Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me. And these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. But it does. And, and I think for, for the folks listening who, who are parents, I mean, we can see our perfectionism come up in ways that we, we might not even want it to come up with our kids. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself having to pull back and redirect when I am praising my child for, like you said, outcomes, you know, perfect outcomes. Uh And then I had to really shift. And it it was a really big shift in how I parented when I realized that that pattern, you know, I was just inadvertently repeating what all of us see, which is like you said, reinforcing something that happens and we had to redirect. And now we have a song about it's good to make mistakes and things like that. But you know, our, our society and how we were all raised ourselves sets this precedent of reinforce what is quote unquote good. And when we're not reinforcing, you know, the imperfection in our own behavior and in our children's, then that gets internalized, of course. 
Yes, of course. Someone asked me why. Why do we develop perfectionism? So I think we're talking about uh, environmental factors right now. Yes. Relational mm-hmm. factors. Um, mm-hmm. Do What about genetic components? What do you think? So we can't break down the exact difference between nature and nurture on perfectionism in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a bit of that data, of course, for anxiety, but you know, there is some hard wiring uh, behind some of this and, and sort of how much folks will be driven to X, Y, or Z. You know, I am, I am grateful for the biology that I have that, you know, lets me look at the, you know, huge pile of laundry and say, meh, don't worry about it. But that same biology, you know, and, and this is something we haven't gone to yet, but does tell me if I have a pile of notes to do for work or I have to prep for a talk or I have to read a book to help a client that, I better get that done and I better get that done immediately. Uh-huh. So, you know, we, we have, we only have so much, you know, energy in our, you know, behind our anxiety, but the perfectionism will usually find different outlets, you know, different areas of our lives where we'll find that it's more prominent than others. Uh-huh. So what do you mean there? Do you mean when we haven't gotten to it yet, do you mean in the sense of how perfectionism serves you or how that drives uh, you or what do you mean? Um, so, sort of that if we, oh, that we haven't gotten to it yet, that our perfectionism, we might be perfectionistic in some parts of our lives. Like some folks are very perfectionistic with work. That's where it comes out with me. Ah, Other yes. folks, work is totally fine. It doesn't stress them out. But they're, if their house is not spotless or if their children aren't perfectly behaved or if they haven't had, you know, the Friday date night that was wonderful, then they'll feel like this is not sustainable. This is not okay. Why do you think that is? Why do we tend to focus on one area and maybe not the other? I think that's highly social. So, you know, I can tell. In my family, it was a family of academics, high achievement and good grades. I I talk to my clients about this, and I I have this in my course, actually, this idea of the different types of families that that we can end up with perfectionism with. Yes. Yes, it's fun. So sometimes you have families where they're reinforcing perfectionism and, you know, they might be punishing or they might be, you know, very neutral if somebody doesn't come home perfect. So you come home with a, a B. I don't know if the grades are the same in Canada. Is it an ABC system? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just checking. I used to yes. live in France and it was completely different. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, you come home with a B and it's, oh, you know, we got to work on this. How are we going to do this? You know, whatnot. And then a lot of reinforcement if you get the A, you know, yay. And then in other families, sometimes perfectionism is so expected and so understood that there's not actually reinforcement for A's. It's just, that's how it is. Hmm. And it's sort of assumed. And I see this in so many of, you know, my very high achieving clients in that they grew up in environments where perfect was just the status quo. And if it was anything but perfect, something was wrong. Now that said, that might be perfectionism in they got first place in their gymnastics competition, or that might be, you know, that they always aced all the, you know, English and math tests. But what the values that our family or our environment have can feed into where our perfectionism sort of rears its head. Yes. And I, the one that shows up often is around the academic and career choices. 
that often shows up. And I mean, even if we think of generational in terms of, you know, some of our parents and perhaps employment was different then. And we know that our parents' generation is more likely to be in the same job throughout their life versus mm-hmm. changing positions. This um, kind of old school view that university here in Canada is praised better than college versus, you know, that's not the way it's viewed today in terms of success, right? Um, those yes. are things that are definitely changing. And the story I often hear from my clients who struggle with high achieving is I came home with the 90%. I was so excited for the 90%. And what, what did your parents say? Where's the other 10%? Which oh. is just, oh. uh, right? You, you know, in the sense of, and even let's take the attachment lens. I'm coming home and I'm showing you this and I'm saying, see me. Can you see how hard I'm trying? Can you see me as a person? And our parents, you know, doing the best that they can, yeah. they miss it and they say, where's the other 10%? And, and even if it's a joke, it still stays. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, what we do, I mean, for some people, they can externalize that, right? We can externalize yep. it and say, yep. Yeah, that's just, you know, that's just my dad. That's just how I let you know. Mm-hmm. But for many other people, especially as teens, because as uh, teens, and I think maybe you can speak better than this to this than I could, but teens, we very like the world is our inside. And it's like having the spotlight on us. It's very self-focused. We we are selfish mm-hmm. in a way that's developmentally appropriate at that age. And so you think, oh gosh, it's me. There's something wrong with me, defective of me. I should try harder next time. Because maybe if I get that 100, then they'll celebrate me. Right? Yes. Oh, it's so, so true. It's so, so true. And, and it comes back to what you were saying at the beginning of this this podcast of this idea of being enough mm-hmm. and sort of what is enough. And mm-hmm. for many folks, it's just oh, my heart just feels this for, for the I folks know. that I work with, but many folks feel like they never were enough and they're, they just, the next thing they'll feel better and the next achievement and the next house or the next car and, and disengage from that sort of internal rat race that's really the goal of breaking free of perfectionism. A sense of striving, eh? Like the striving over thriving. And that that was a really huge realization, even for my own self of like, when when is it enough? When am I going to stop striving? And I wonder kind of transitioning into that, what's the connection between perfectionism and burnout? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's high, <laughs> as you can imagine. And <laughs> And burnout, you know, burnout is something that is so relatable. Again, thinking back to our parents' generation, and you look at the number of hours that they worked a week in Uh some of these professional jobs. They weren't getting pinged by their boss at nine o'clock at night. You know, they weren't expected to be, email didn't exist, but they weren't expected to be on email at all hours. And then on top of that, I'm I'm doing um, an article with someone right now, and the study that we're citing is that women actually spend twice as much time on parenting in 2017 than they did in 1965 when the vast majority of women did not work. Wow. Wow. So twice as much time in 2017 compared to in the sixties. Wow. Yes. This is the difference between go out and play. I'll see you for dinner and I'm going to sit with you and we're going to work with Montessori toys for the next three hours. Right. (laughs) And, and you know it's so You're interesting. Right now, <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
Because, and, and I had just said this to my partner. I had just said, the kids are downstairs playing. It's good, right? And he's like, yeah, it's good. I said, because, you know, I don't, I don't know. And sometimes they're watching TV. Sometimes they're watching yep. TV. And, and that's yep. just okay. Good. I've come around to that. It's just okay. <laughs> but and other times I'm like, should I be down there? Should I be? But because mm-hmm. there is this, this, is it a pressure? Is it, I view other moms on Instagram or what I think yes. other people do, um, mm-hmm. of somehow I should be with them every, every day, uh, every yes. moment, right? That it's in some ways, it's not okay for them to go downstairs and play. And then there, the other rational part of me can always say, you know, Tracy, look at them developing this bond. Like they are just, they're having a blast. They Mm. are laughing. And then sometimes they're crying and fighting, but I let them work it out. They work it out. They're negotiating. They're learning kindness. They don't need me to jump in there. But the pressure from what I tell myself in order to be a good mom, in order to be a perfect mom, perfect doesn't ring Mm. much in my mind as often anymore, but it's the good mom, Mm. which is still the striving for perfection. It's the euphemism. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah. Um that it's like I can't just be. I, I, I think you'll appreciate this. I had um Alice, Allison Keating on the, the podcast a few sessions ago, a few episodes ago, and she had said, Do you ever let your children see you just sit down? Oh, I love that. As as a woman, as a mother, what are you teaching your children by always going? And doing multiple things at once and getting everything done. And are you ever just sitting and being? And that it's okay to not have to play with the Legos. I'm in there. I love the Legos. I do it for myself. (laughs) But, you know, there are times where sometimes you just need to sit back and it's okay. It has nothing to do with your worth as a mom. I was, I have to tell you, cause this, this literally happened yesterday with an individual person that I work with and she, you know, folks are so hard on themselves and, you know, she's beating herself up for, you know, not having all this achievement and everything tied up with a bow and, and she's totally overworking and, you know, professional and academic and all these different areas of her life. And we did this visualization of what she wanted for her child. Oh, right? Yes. And how she wanted her child to grow up and and how she wanted her child to equate her worth and whether, whether she would be able to communicate to her child, you don't need to be overachieving all the time to be loved and cared for by me. And then we turned it inward and it was about, you know, is your child going to pick up on the fact that you don't give yourself that and you Mm. don't feel it in your bones? And, and so that I love what, what Allison said about our children, letting our children see us just sit because every mom who I've talked to has the perfectionism or future mom has the perfectionism streak. They all say, Oh, I would, I would never tell my daughter. She has to, you know, look perfect, be the CEO, you know, go to X college to be happy. I would never, ever want her to think that she doesn't need to get married to be happy. None of these things. And then when we turn it around, those are all the exact same pressures that we're putting on ourselves. Oh yeah. It's such a beautiful, it's, it's a, I think it's a wonderful motivator because 
we are so, you know, perfectionists are so used to putting themselves lower on the priority list. But when we look at how much one person's perfectionism can affect everybody in their orbit and all the people they love and care about, that's where it's really sometimes this light bulb moment of, oh, this is something that really needs to change. So powerful when we think of our children. I want to connect that even to our partners as well, because what sometimes shows up for the partner is that sense of, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough, which sometimes is their own stuff that shows up in there, but it can certainly be a difficult dynamic that shows up. I, going back to that, one of the examples or exercises I love to use with my clients, um, when they, when they struggle, it's like, well, why should I, I shouldn't struggle with this. Why is this so hard? And I love to do the perspective taking. And I ask them, you know, imagine your child comes to you and you live in this perfect world. You don't know what it means to feel pain. You don't know what it means to suffer. You're like, you're good, perfect. You've never struggled. Mm-hmm. So the situation is, imagine your child comes to you in that situation and they say, I'm really having a hard time. I feel so much pain. Mm-hmm. Or imagine the other world where you know what it's like to feel this pain. You know what it's like to struggle and to feel anxious and out of control. Which, which world would you want your child to come to you? The one where you don't know how to connect with them and feel that or the one where you have felt it and struggled and that you can connect with them. And of course, you know, people say, I want to connect with them. I don't want them to see me as perfect or never struggling or never feeling pain. I want, to, I want them to know I get it. And that's powerful. So much. I know. I know. And it just, it like just loosens this grip that we shouldn't be struggling, right? Yes. And like... And I think one of the things that I've really come to accept is like, yeah, high expectations show up in my life. They always do in some way. But, and, and, I, and I'm not going to be the perfect whatever, but instead it's like, how can, I, how can I show up in life and not let this derail me? How can I loosen the grip on this? How can I tap into what's really meaningful to me and act from that place? I know you and I both worked from an act perspective. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is all ringing so true. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does perfectionism show up for you in parenting? Yes. Hardcore yes. I think um, <laughs> when I look back on it, it's so funny because it showed up a lot more when because I was a first-time mom and when there's so little, you just, everything is so scary as a first-time mom. Yes. And one example I always use with my, with my first time moms is, well, how many reviews of strollers have you read? <laughs> <laughs> it's always at least in the hundreds. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a common theme that the moms say in my office. They say, you know, I am researching every brand of sunscreen. What's the best one? Yes. I, I researched yes. all of the cribs. What's the best one? The car seats, right? Actually, we know that car seats are made to a certain standard. So are yeah, strollers. They're all the same. They're all the same. <laughs> aesthetically you might like one more than the other yep exactly so that that's always my you know and we haven't gotten to this I think this we could talk about this forever obviously but um you know another another theme that comes up with perfectionists is we feel very uncomfortable with ambiguity and things that we don't have control over and I can't control that I've never been a mom before I can't control that I have no idea what breastfeeding looks like or working motherhood looks like you know everything was up in the air but I could find the perfect stroller. Gosh, darn it. Like I could do it. Watch. And so when my perfection shows up in motherhood and, and 
I always use Thich Nhat Hanh as, as sort of my favorite Zen writer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite phrases that he has is smiling at our difficulties. Oh, and sort of having nice. that. I love, I love that so much. And so the other day I was looking for our, you know, fourth bubble gun um, purchase of the season. Cause we keep, they keep breaking obviously <laughs> junk. and, and I found myself, you know, on the fourth page of Amazon bubble guns. And I was like, Oh, Jen, you're doing it. This is it. It's <laughs> happening. And I smiled and I kind of giggled at myself. And then I just pressed by now on the next one and they're in the mail, uh-huh. but it, it, it comes up all the time. And, and knowing that we have this, this nurture situation, knowing we might be a little predisposed to anxiety. I think we were talking before we started recording about every single person who ever became a psychologist or, you know, had the audacity to get a PhD, usually has some perfectionism in them anyway. Uh-huh. That's what got them through. But uh-huh. they kind it's of... It's a strength end. at times. Yes, it can, you know, it, when when wielded for good, it's a very good thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, we all have waves of this. And But to be able to connect, like you said, you know, mind and body and note when this is helpful rather than harming us, then we can augment our behavior and how we're thinking to be most helpful for our lives. How do people do that? So knowing that this is about, well, hang on. Yes. (laughs) I can completely relate to that motherhood and loss of control. And I've just been having this conversation with a friend and I said, have you found, she's just had her, her first baby. And I said, did you find the magical pajamas? (laughs) Did did you, did you get them yet? (laughs) And I said, because we found them. Oh, and, and they weren't. And so we put, we put my son in those pajamas for like five, nine straight. And then the streak stopped. <laughs> right. So it's, it's the sense of when things are outside of our control and oh my goodness, we do not take PhDs in becoming parents. And I always yeah. say that motherhood has been the hardest thing that I have ever had to do. I thought sitting in the room, sitting in a room, writing about the same thing for six years was going to be the <laughs> hardest thing and collecting participants and data analyses. I love data by the way. Um, I thought that would be the hardest thing, but it, I mean, motherhood just throws you for a loop. And there's no guidebook. And and you and I had said this before recording in the sense that they're like, everything is the first time and you're having to adjust to it for the first time. What is this big emotion in front of me? Oh my goodness. You're, you're screaming in my ear and, and you've just hit me in the head with a book. Okay. (laughs) Right. Like every moment is, is this feeling of loss of control. And that is really hard for people in general, because we like control and certainty, yep. but particularly for those who lean towards perfectionism. Yes. And I believe, you know, I think parenthood, I'm smiling because it's always my favorite thing when folks come to me with this kind of issue and they are about to get pregnant or they're pregnant, you know, or they're, they just, you know, started, they just had their first child because childhood, you know, being motherhood is the ultimate exposure to imperfection. Mm-hmm. And it was honestly the best thing that ever happened to me because it was no longer possible to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Before that, I could kind of pull it off. And I bet a lot of your listeners right now are kind of pulling it off. Oh, I, you I, know? I know they are. Yeah. They're up to their necks in, you know, tension, but they got it. You know, the house clean. I used to work it. I used to see patients until nine o'clock at night and then go home. You know, just the amount, just the sheer volume of work in my life, you know, and, and socializing was, you know, quote unquote easy because uh-huh. I had weekends and things like that to myself. And 
you know, thinking about that. And then as soon as my daughter was born, all of a sudden it was inevitable that I had all these balls in the air and I couldn't keep them all in the air. And my favorite mentor, who I'm still friends with to this day, taught me about, you just have to figure out which balls are glass and you let the rest of them fall. And it was this amazing thing where I started setting boundaries. I, you know, showed up imperfectly at work. I would show up, you know, imperfectly in all these situations. And that was liberating. So to anybody out there who feels totally bogged down in the chaos of parenthood, wherever you are, even if your kids are 18, kind of embracing that and letting that be part of your journey out of this is just, it's one of my favorite things. Oh, that is so powerful. Just embrace it and move out of it. It, you cannot hold it all. It's not attached to your worth at all. And, and the moment you start to think that, what, what can they start to do when they start to get into that, like all or nothing thinking, how can they step out of that? Oh, I mean, part of it is, you know, really experiencing, allowing ourselves to experience the imperfection and then watching the world not fall apart. Mm, so know. like sitting with that hard emotion, right? Like feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, so I still struggle saying no. I think I'll struggle saying no forever. Um, and I'll probably say yes to, you know, the grape jello versus the orange when I'm 80 and in the hospital, you know, whatever it is. But you know, when I say no to a commitment, we were talking about this before the podcast, but when I say no to a commitment, it still kind of stings. I feel uncomfortable with it, right? And so pressing send on that boundary setting email still is going to have that twinge and that twinge is the anxiety of perfectionism. But when we do that and then we see that the negative stuff doesn't come back, I, I actually had women come up to me after meetings at Stanford, which is a very, you know, perfectionistic place, but at my university saying, I really admired what you did in that meeting Mm. because I was setting boundaries and it was ultimately very positively reinforced by the culture because it, it was so recognized to be needed. I love that you're saying that. It's just like practice it. Find, find where you can start feeling comfortable letting something sit find that, like, like you said, the growth edge, right? And, and it's not to say, you, again, don't get into the all or nothing thinking. It's not, I'm a perfectionist versus now I'm doing nothing, right? Like that, that's yes. not, not <laughs> what this is about, but like, where's the wiggle room? And, and, and when it comes up with couples and they feel like they haven't had any intimacy, they're not connecting, you know, we can explore some of the stuff and truly they leave the most important thing, which is connecting together for the end of the day, because all like you, you're doing it with your hands, like yes. all of this list, this checklist you have to do, you have oh. to get it done first before you can do the most important thing. Let, let that simmer, just let it sit. Mm-hmm. And like you said, see what happens afterwards. Nothing will happen. Those dirty counters of mine, the next yeah. day, we still went on. Yeah. It was fine. The dishes, it's okay. And being able to find a new tolerance line and, and not having to keep feeding that. I really like that. This, this kind of, and that's been a theme around 2020 has really been around sitting in uncomfortable and nobody has been immune to this. It's actually just been thrown right into our face. And Mm -hmm. the ones that I'm seeing who are coping are allowing themselves just to be so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's that, that kind of throwing our hands up and, and that recognition that we can't control the universe 
which is a very humbling experience, but like you said, connects us to other people. And, and, you know, this is Brene Brown stuff and vulnerability, but you know, the best mom friends that I have Mm. are the ones who text me saying, Oh my gosh, I'm hiding in the bathroom. I can't take this anymore. They're not the ones who are like, look at my Instagramable doc, talk setup. Like that's not, those are not the people who I value in my life. So I, I, what I love about perfectionism is uh, working with perfectionism is that when somebody starts breaking free of it, they see their quality of life improve so beautifully. It's Mm. just magical. Yeah. That, that's so powerful. And just that vulnerability, right? That connection, the authenticity that you can have people in your space and it not be perfectly set up. And you can, uh, this brings up another issue that I, I know a lot of women struggle with is, is not just mothers, but women in general, asking for help. Oh, yes. You hit the nail on the head. They are so related. Mm-hmm. of just showing up, being imperfect, saying, I can't do this. If I could look back at the earlier days of motherhood, oh boy, I wish I asked for more help. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. And, and all the way, you know, from our, our different circles of social support, all the way from our partner to mm-hmm. friends, to, you know, coworkers, to acquaintances, it, it, it really flows through our entire world when we feel like we have to do everything on our own. And then again, we're modeling that for our children, even if that's the last thing that we would want for them. Absolutely. All right. Wrapping up. Yes, I could talk about this all day. (laughs) uh, I I know we could just have a seminar on this and go all day long and just be so powerful. (laughs) What would be the one thing that listeners could start doing today to help Mm -hmm. them with perfectionism? would be that one thing? So I would start incredibly, incredibly small. Um, And, you know, it might be, you know, some little things that I have, you know, leaving typos in an email or a text message to someone. I know Tracy's freaking out. Tracy's like, please not me. Please not me. You know, it can be (laughs) anything. It can be leaving, you know, one dish in the sink overnight but it's it's really just allowing ourselves to experience life outside of the perfection and then wake up and realize, oh, wait, I didn't get fired because I spelled the and forgot the E. Or, oh, wait, my husband still leaned over and kissed me in the morning even though I left a dish in the sink. Wait a second. And it starts to challenge, you know, that that all or nothing thinking if we always do all. Sorry, last thought, but whenever I work with perfectionists, I always say, well, you know, And so if you don't, you know, stay up till 3 a.m. working on this project, then what happens? And they say, oh, you know, it'll be this terrible thing. And then if we go deeper, it's always, and then I'll get fired and I'll never get a job. And then I'm going to, you know, die alone in the gutter. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I get that because I also, you know, have those thoughts of, oh my gosh, then everything's going to fall apart. And, you know, absolutely die alone in gutter. That's just going to happen if I don't, you know, get these cookies made for my daughter's birthday party kind of thing. And it's okay to buy the cookies. Yeah. Buy the cookies in the store, y'all do it. Um, but to, to really allow, you know, our behaviors to be a teeny bit imperfect and then watch the world not fall apart is a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's so beautiful. Okay. I know that you are doing something so powerful to help people outside of your office. So yes. I'm, I mean, this is big and I really want <laughs> people listening to be able to hear about this. So, so what do you have on the go? 
Yes. So this, I, I became much like you and I, I'm so, I have such admiration for how you're reaching all these listeners and, and doing everything in your membership and all these ways you're reaching people. I got sick of only be able, being able to help one person at a time. You know, my wait list is too long. And so I created a course that's called freedom from perfectionism, how to take back your time and live a more authentic life. We didn't even talk about loss of time and loss of authenticity in here, but that's so much of what maybe did sort of, but that's so much of what perfectionism robs us of. And so this course is about understanding the roots of perfectionism, the maintenance factors, it gives cognitive tools, it gives behavioral tools, it gives how do we maintain these afterwards. And it's just this beautiful educational piece. And I literally wrote it because this is what I wish I had 20 years ago mm. and 10 years ago and five years ago. <laughs> So powerful. Yeah. Nobody has the time to sit around and read, you know, 200 page books on this stuff. That's totally unrealistic. So it's all accessible for a a year after you get it. It's, it's all pre-recorded. You can watch it in the middle of the night when you can't sleep because you're worried about whatever's happening the next day. And it's, you know, videos and this amazing workbook. And I just, I've gotten phenomenal feedback from folks, especially, you know, folks who are similar to who you speak to most. So high achieving women in relationships with children. And it's, it's just been a beautiful thing. Absolutely. It's just so needed, right? And and when we think about the context of what's happening in the world right now, it's hard to get services. It's The wait lists are long. Um, And for many people who have lost their jobs or are struggling financially, it also feels Mm -hmm. inaccessible at times. And I love the service that so many psychologists and therapists and healthcare providers in general are showing up in this online space to help people be well. And we know that that self-help does help to make changes, right? Like it's powerful stuff. Jen, Mm -hmm. thank you so much. I'm going to put all the links in the show notes so that people can find it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And you and I are going to switch gears and continue our conversation in my Be Connected membership space and dive into more about how we can master perfectionism in our relationships. Thank you so much for having me. I just so appreciate it. Thank you. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. I will see you next week. What's up, guys? I'm Gabrielle Stone, host of FML Talk. After being love-bombed, married, and cheated on, trust me, I've got some perspective on love, heartbreak, trauma, and healing. FML Talk has become weekly therapy for my listeners, where I give you a safe space to heal with, of course, a few F-bombs thrown in fun girl talk episodes, solo episodes that will guide you on your healing journey, and guests with stories that will leave your jaw on the floor. Grab a cocktail and come hang with me every Wednesday on FML Talk.